What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. prophet's responsibility is to speak on behalf of God. And so Aaron is Moses as a prophet because he's speaking on behalf of Moses. God speaks to Moses. Moses then gives that message to Aaron. Aaron then speaks it to Pharaoh. But this is just another kind of you know, encouraging response. Of, I know you struggle with this. I know it's hard for you. But don't forget, you also got Aaron. I've given him to you to help you with this. And so God is bringing this answer, this encouragement to Moses' question. And he continues on in verses 3 through 5. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out their children of Israel from among them. Now, once again, we have God saying something that we'll look at in more detail when it actually happens. God says, I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. We had this mentioned back in chapter 5, and I said the same thing back then. When we get to the moment when God actually does it, then we're going to look at a lot of details concerning that and, and look at you know, uh, what's going on there. But right now, God is just speaking about something he's going to do in the future, just like he did before. He's bringing this up, but he's bringing it for a reason, because he goes on to say, hey, Pharaoh isn't going to heed you, Moses. Well, Moses just said, Lord, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Pharaoh's not going to heed me. It's all because of me. It's because of the fact I'm unworthy. I'm sinful. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. He's not going to heed me. And God says, Pharaoh isn't going to heed you, Moses, but it's not about you. It's not because of your unworthiness. It's not because of your sinfulness. It's not because of anything because of you. Pharaoh's not going to heed you because I'm going to do something with him, and he's going to do something in himself. And we're going to see both of those things, that he hardens his own heart, as we've already seen, and God's also going to harden his heart as well. And so God's preparing Moses. You know, I know that you're struggling with the fact that Pharaoh isn't heeding what you're saying right away, and let me just prepare you. The next time you talk to him, it's not going to get any better. He's not going to heed you, but it's not you. You're not the problem. You think it's you. Oh, Lord, you've called the wrong guy. If you would have called someone else and Pharaoh would have already let the Israelites go and everything would be great, it's just me. I'm the problem. And God wants to say, no, you're not the problem at all. I've called the right man to the right job. I just have something that I need to do prior to Pharaoh letting the Israelites go. And that's what God wants Moses to understand about this because he gives us a reason why? Well, why are you going to harden Pharaoh's <clears throat> heart? And I want you to notice the reason here that he gives. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. 
Notice the, the ultimate heart here. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and here's why. Because in doing so, I'm going to get to bring my miraculous judgments against the Egyptians, and they are going to start to see something very important. They're going to discover something very important. Because Pharaoh said, who is this God of the Israelites? I don't know him. And all the Egyptians would echo that statement. And so God says, there's a purpose here. And the purpose is that Pharaoh and the Egyptians are going to learn who I am, that they may know I am the Lord. I am the one true God. Through my power, through these plagues, through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the ultimate goal, the ultimate thing in all of this is that they would come to a recognition of who I am because right now they don't know, but by the time I get done, they're going to know. They're going to see. They're going to realize that it's not just going to be because you tell them, Moses, they are going to see and they're going to experience through what I bring upon them the true power that I have. And so he's helping Moses see, hey, there's a reason for the delay. I know you want everything to happen right now. I know you want the Israelites to get out of here right now and you want it all just to happen quickly, but I got a bigger plan. It's going to go slower because ultimately, I want everybody to see who the true God is. So the plagues, the hardening of hearts, everything comes down to this ultimate purpose. Walter Kaiser wrote this, These miracles would also be an invitation for the Egyptians to personally believe in the Lord. Thus the invitation was pressed repeatedly and some apparently did believe, for there was a mixed multitude that left Egypt with Israel. When we get to the actual exodus when they leave, we're going to find that some Egyptians are joining them. Why? Because they have come to the point where they believe in the one true God. They have accepted, after all these plagues, after all the miraculous power, hey, we recognize Pharaoh's not the true God. The gods of Egypt aren't the true God. This is the one true God, and we want to put our trust in him. And so something that we need to recognize as well is God's just not saying, I just want you to know that I'm more powerful than your gods. He said, no, 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 I want you to see who I am ultimately so that people would come to put their trust in me. Ultimately, so that people would come and believe in me. And that has, God has that same desire for people today. He wants people to know that he is the Lord. And he has done and he continues to do great and mighty things, miraculous things in the lives of people, through the lives of people. Because he wants people to look on and see, hey, look at God. He is true. He is real. And not just to stand back in awe and say, wow, his judgments are great, or wow, his power is immense, but to be even more that we would place our faith in him, that we would believe in him, that we would trust in him. And I'm sure for many of us, that's, we saw things. We saw things that God did that ultimately brought us to that place of wanting to surrender our lives to him. And so God gives Moses a command. I want you to speak to Pharaoh a second time. And Moses basically says, I can't do that. I'm of uncircumcised lips. Pharaoh's never going to listen. And God answers that question by letting Moses know, hey, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. I placed you in this. I know what you are. I know your struggles. I know your sins. But in spite of all that, I've called you as my representative. Well, now Moses has received the answer to his question, and the command of God is still there. And so he's got a choice to make. All right, Lord, no, I'm not the guy. <laughs> this command is not going to fly. I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't go, and I can't be your representative before uh, Pharaoh. And God says, no, that's what I'm calling you to do, and here's the reason why. 
And so now it's back in Moses' court. Is he going to be obedient? Is he going to listen to what God says? Let's see, verse 6 and 7. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. So here we see a great response from Moses. You know, he has all these reasons to doubt himself, all these reasons to, to say, you know what, I'm not the guy, I shouldn't be the one. Lord, get somebody else. And God says, no, I've called you. You're my representative. I know what I got myself into, and you're the one that I want to do this. Go and do it. And Moses says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go back to Pharaoh, even though last time it seemed like a big failure, even though last time things got way worse. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. What a great example, because it's hard for us. It's hard for us to go, and especially we go back into something where it's like, Lord, I've been there. I tried to reach out to that person, and they just spit in my face, and I tried to reconcile, and they were just so horrible. I tried to do this. And, and when we have some kind of negative reaction, and God says, no, I want you to go, and I want you to forgive. I want you to go, and I want you to reconcile. I want you to go, and I want you to deal with that situation. You're like, no, I've been there, done that. It wasn't good last time, Lord. It didn't turn out like i like it to. I'm not going. It must be me. And God says, no, I want you to go back. And we got to be willing to say, all right, I'll obey. But notice something that we see. We kind of glance over it sometimes. Moses is 80, and his older brother Aaron is 83. And I think this should be an encouragement and a reminder that you're never too old to be used by God. You know, we might retire from jobs that we have, but ultimately we don't ever retire from being Christians. We don't ever retire in this life from being used by God, from being available to God to do something through us. And it's amazing what he's able to accomplish through Aaron and Moses in that age of their life. Well, now we have come to the point where God's going to show his power. You know, I've been talking about the epic battle that hasn't been very epic yet. Well, it's going to get epic now because now we're going to see God bring some miraculous stuff into this. And, you know, we're familiar with the ten plagues. But you know what? Before we start, I want to bring out something that's very important about them because God could have chosen to show his power in all sorts of different ways. I mean, you could just think of the many ways that God could have just demonstrated that he is all-powerful, that he could do whatever he wants. But he chooses to come at the Egyptians in ten very specific ways. These ten plagues are calculated, they're thought through, they're for a very specific purpose. And the thing that we're going to note as we go through these ten different plagues over the next couple of weeks is that each plague is designed to target certain false Egyptian gods. That it's not just some random thing as, oh, you know, the Nile turns to blood and frogs come and lice are here and, you know, God just is picking some random thing to do. No, each one of these things were directed towards these idols, these false gods that the Egyptians worshipped, and we're going to see how with each one of them, God is revealing, hey, I'm the one with the true power. You guys think these guys got power? You worship them? Well, then, come on, let's see them do something. Let's see them help you. Why aren't they able to stop this power that I am bringing against them? And so this battle is not just God and Moses, or God and Pharaoh. Ultimately, it's God versus these false gods that the Egyptians are worshiping. So the Egyptians know about the gods of Egypt. They don't know about the true God, and they're about to find out. Verse 8. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show us a miracle for yourself, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers of the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So God tells Moses and Aaron that, you know what, the second time that you stand before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's actually going to ask something of you. Last time you came, he just wanted to know what your request was. Well, now he's going to ask of you. Notice that he says, he's going to say, show a miracle for yourselves. You're claiming that, you know, this God of Israel is something. Well, prove it. Show a miracle. Demonstrate the power of this God that you say is demanding that I should let the Israelites go. And God says, when Pharaoh asks that question, when he demands a miracle, this is what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to tell Aaron to take his rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. Now, something very interesting and important to note here, and I did this growing up, reading this story, we often you know, associate this with something that just happened before. We kind of confuse two different events. Because remember, we have the event of Moses casting down his rod, which turns into a serpent, in front of the elders of Israel. But this is a different event. And I want to make sure that we separate them because there's some interesting things that I think um, stand out here. Uh, So remember, the first time that Moses is struggling, he's saying, God, The Israelites aren't going to believe that you sent me. How are they going to know that you sent me? They're not going to listen to me. Back in chapter 4, notice what God tells him. The Moses answered and said, Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they said, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. There's another sign in there where he sticks his hand into his chest and it comes out leprous. But the signs were specific. God says, I'm giving you these signs for who? For the elders of Israel. Why? So that they'll believe that I sent you. Because that's the complaint. What if they don't believe? Well, here, I'm going to give you these two miracles so that when they see it, they'll believe that I sent you. And that's exactly what happens. We come down to chapter 4, verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in sight of the people so the people believed. So what God says happens, happens. They go... Moses' rod is cast down, it turns into a snake, he sticks his hand in his chest, comes out, it's leprous, and the ultimate goal is what it was supposed to be. They believe that he was sent by God. So the first important thing I want you to note is that the miracle of Moses' staff turning into a snake, it was for the Israelites, it was for them to believe that God sent Moses. Nowhere in chapter 4 do we see God saying, do this in front of Pharaoh. Nowhere in chapter 4 do we say these signs are for Pharaoh to believe that I am truly the God of all gods. Okay? 
So we don't see that. But the first time we see Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh, guess what? All they do is speak. No miracles, no signs, no casting down of rods, no showing leprous hands. All they do is speak to Pharaoh and give the demand that God has. Now they're going to go again. And they're thinking, we're just going to go speak. But God says, "Uh uh-uh, Pharaoh's going to ask for a sign. He's going to ask for what miracle are you going to show me? And when he says that, this is what I want you to do. I want you to throw down Aaron's rod, not Moses' rod. And Aaron's rod is going to turn, as it's translated, into a serpent. Now, when we hear that, we might just think, okay, God's just basically saying, hey, just like you did in front of the elders of Israel, do that with Pharaoh. But there's only one difference, just a different rod. Moses' rod, Aaron's rod, who cares? I can turn anything into anything I want. But there's another difference, something I want to draw your attention to, something I just find interesting for those of you who like to study. This might be something that you find interesting as well. The Hebrew word translated serpent or snake is different in both of these two sections. So in chapter 4, when he speaks of doing this, and here in chapter 7, there are two different words. The Hebrew word translated serpent or snake in Exodus 4 is nakash. It means a serpent or snake. It's used 41 different times in the Old Testament. Every time it's translated, only serpent or snake. That's the only way they use this word. That's all it ever meant, and that's why it's translated that way. But here in chapter 7, verse 9, when God says, Say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. The Hebrew word translated serpent is not nakash. It's the Hebrew word tanin. Now this word can be translated crocodile, dragon, sea monster, or venomous snake. But the most common use of this Hebrew word, the way it was used at that time most commonly, was crocodile, not snake. Okay? So most commentators that I was reading were saying, actually, a more literal, better translation of this would not be snake, it would be crocodile. David Guzik wrote this. This was not exactly the same miracle that Moses experienced on Mount Sinai and performed before the elders of Israel that saw the rod of Moses turn into a serpent, but a different Hebrew word is used, something like crocodile, which is something of a symbol of Egypt itself. Walter Kaiser wrote this, When cast down, it became tanin, or crocodile. The connection of the name tanin with the symbol of Egypt is clear from Psalm 74.13 and Ezekiel 29.3. Now, whether or not it was a snake or a crocodile doesn't really change the story drastically. It's still miraculous. I mean, you've got a stick turning into something. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't change it. But what I find interesting is the significance between a snake versus a crocodile to the Egyptians. Because, you know, the Egyptians, the crocodile was something very significant. They worshipped crocodiles. Uh, They believed something about crocodiles I'll share in a moment. But I think if you want to get Pharaoh's attention, you know, well, I think the staff turned into a crocodile, something that he would have been uh, much more kind of in awe of and worshipped would be even more attention-grabbing than a snake would. But... Before we get into any more significance of the crocodile, I want to have you note something that is kind of mind-boggling the story because we think, wow, look at the power of God. I mean, this wood and staff now turns into either some kind of snake or some crocodile. But notice what happens right after God does this through Aaron's rod. Verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, 
they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. Same word, tanin, so it could be crocodiles. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and they did not heed them as the Lord had said. So now we thinking, man, if I'm seeing this rod turn into a snake or a crocodile, I'm just going to be blown away. Whoa, your God is powerful. And Pharaoh's like, whatever, magicians, sorcerers, get over here. Show this guy the power of our gods. And look what they're able to do. They take these staffs that they have, and they do the exact same miracle. Their staffs turn into, whether it's a snake or a crocodile, they do exactly what God does through Aaron's staff. And I think something we need to understand is demons, Satan, they have power. They have supernatural power to do things. I mean, sometimes we give them too much power, and sometimes we don't really recognize the power that they actually have. And that same demonic power exists today. Not too far in the future, Satan is going to pour out his power, probably even in a greater way than he did back in the time of Egypt, on a certain individual. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they do not believe, receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. The lawless one is speaking of the Antichrist, someone in the future that is coming, and I believe that future is getting close to us. And we're told that Satan himself is going to empower the Antichrist. Give him power, signs, lying wonders. Well, how old does Satan have this power? Yes, he does. He can give supernatural power, just like they were, these guys that were Pharaoh's sorcerers, Pharaoh's magicians. They had supernatural power from Satan, from demons. Revelation tells us that God is going to send many plagues against the Antichrist ruled earth, just like he did, as we're looking at here in Exodus. So what we see here happening between God and Pharaoh is actually something that's going to be similar to what God does with the Antichrist, but it's going to be on a whole different scale. The plagues in Revelation are far worse than the ones in Exodus. So Satan and his demons have this supernatural power that they often give that power to people who follow them, people who worship them, people who are seeking that power from them. And this is kind of the scary thing that we have in our culture because you know we kind of portray witches and other things in a very fanciful way. Uh, and oh, well, it's just you know this fantasy world and this stuff doesn't really exist and it's not real. Well, in the way that it's portrayed in movies, oftentimes, yeah, it's not the way that it really is. But we need to not miss the fact that that stuff is real. Witchcraft is real. There is real demonic power. There are people who truly have power from Satan, from demons, uh, and it's, it exists. You know, it's not something that we should just kind of brush over and, yeah, well, that stuff's just all you know, make-believe and fake. No, there is a reality to that. You know, it was really evident when I was in Scotland. There was more witchcraft in Scotland than anywhere else in the world. Uh, and there are certain places that you would go, and you just feel just the, the darkness that is there. But I came across and talked with many people, you know, who were seeped in this stuff. Uh, and, you know, they could talk about the power that they had from demonic presence in them. You know, ultimately, it was destroying them, but they thought it was something that, you know, made them so powerful and strong. 
But, uh, you know, this is something that we need to be aware of because there's a spiritual battle. The Bible tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the darkness, the rulers of this age. Well, you know, but ultimately those things are manifest through people oftentimes. Uh, and so we need to be aware of the reality that this is out there and to arm ourselves with it. And we also need to recognize that just because there's a miracle, just because there's something supernatural, it doesn't mean it's from God. And this is something that the church world has been deceived in in many ways. They see certain things and people label this, oh, this is the power of God. And they you know, see people roaring like lions and slithering on the ground like snakes. And, you know, oh, we're slain all over the place. And there's all these things that they're associating that with the power of God. Oh, this is God moving in our church. Well, there's something supernatural happening. Yes, I don't deny that. But what we need to realize is just because it's supernatural doesn't equate that it is God. There's supernatural things that come from Satan. And so, yeah, I think there are things that are happening there, but unfortunately, the source that you're claiming is the Holy Spirit, which goes against what we see from the scriptures. Uh, so I think the source that's happening there is a demonic source. And so we need to realize that just because something supernatural takes place doesn't mean that it's true and from the Lord. So we need to test the spirits, as the Bible tells us, and make sure that these things are truly from God. Paul warns us in the last days there's going to be men just like Pharaoh's sorcerers. 2 Timothy 3, 7-9 through says, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all as theirs also was." So here Paul writing in 2 Timothy says, hey, you know what, there's two guys. He kind of lists their names, but back in the time of Exodus, two of these sorcerers, these magicians, these men with demonic power, Janus and Jambres, uh, were two of these people who came against Moses. They were the ones who were able to take their rods and turn them into some kind of creature. We're told that they're intelligent, they're learned men. You know, these are men who probably spent much time, you know, searching out and finding, you know, all sorts of, they, they bring out this word magician. You know, we kind of think of people who deceive and, you know, they're really good at making things look like they disappear, but they don't really. No, these guys were into, you know, devil worship, finding things that really gave them supernatural power through demons, uh, and they're well-learned men. But Paul brings out the reality, but there's something they didn't know. There's a knowledge that they spent all this time searching out knowledge of demonic power, and yet they missed the most important knowledge of all, the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the real God. They're blind to that in their pursuit of this demonic power. They resist the truth. They start to stand against God, and now their folly is manifest to all as people look back and they see, <laughs> look at you versus the true God. You know, who won that battle? So Paul says in these last days which I believe we are living in, they're going to be people like this. And so we look back and say, wow, that's amazing that way back then there was people like this. So Paul's saying, no, there's people like this now too. Living amongst us. Men with supernatural power that come from demonic power that resist the truth of God. They have corrupt minds and we need to be on guard against them. So Aaron's rod, it turns into this snake or this crocodile. Pharaoh says, come on, sorcerers, magicians, they throw down their rods. We don't know how many of them there are, but now we got this room where there's a bunch of either crocodiles or snakes or maybe some kind of creature in between. But notice what happens. I love this part of it. We're told that Aaron's rod, or crocodile, swallows up the magician's and sorcerer's rods. 
So, I mean, this would have been, you know, kind of the, the epic point in this. I mean, it would have been amazing to see, here's this rod turning into some kind of creature. Then all these guys come in, and you see this room of all these creatures. And then here's the one, comes over and just swallows all the rest of them up. Which, what does that prove? Well, here's the one with real power. Yeah, they were able to make the creature, but this creature was able to devour these ones. Douglas Stewart shares an interesting insight about this. The term tanin refers rather to the crocodile, an animal that in ancient Egyptian religion was understood as a ferocious devourer and one who could devour magical spells. By this reasoning, Aaron's staff's devouring of the other staffs was no accident, but a symbol of impeding demise of Egyptian power in the face of Yahweh's. This is another reason why I think it's just an interesting thing, whether it's a crocodile or not, I don't know. But this is one of those things when you realize that they actually believed that the crocodile could devour magical spells. Well, what is it that these guys just did? They bring out a magical spell in order to make their staffs turn into whatever creature it is. And if it is crocodiles, now you have another crocodile ultimately devouring that. And it will just be you know, kind of very picturesque of God showing, let me just show you who the real power is in all of this. But no matter what, no matter what creature it is, God's, <laughs> the one that God did, swallows up the one that these others from demonic power have. And I think it should bring encouragement to us. Because what does that bring up to us? Hey, they got no match for God. You know, yeah, there are, there's demonic power. There are people that we might encounter that are demon-possessed that have power. I mean, we even see that in the time of Jesus where they try to chain this guy. He'd break the chains. I mean, he had supernatural power because he was demon-possessed. And we, wow, wow, that's so crazy. Yeah, but you know what? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? We know that we serve the one who has true power. And even though we see the power of the enemy, which he has... When it comes up against God, it's not like this equal battle of they're, they're battling and I don't know who's going to win. No, God has the real power. They just have a little bit of power in comparison. And so we can be confident that, you know what, we got God on our side. And so as we arm ourselves with spiritual armor, as we trust in the power of the Spirit of God who dwells within us, we will be more than conquerors against the enemy who the, we fight against. But, you know... Pharaoh, he sees Aaron's snakes or crocodiles. You know, he sees that happen. But he sees his, his magicians. They do the same thing. So once again, ah, I'm not impressed by that. My heart is now hardened, and I'm not going to listen to you. So he's not moved by this miracle, even though he asked to see one. Yeah, well, I've seen that. Look at my guys can do that. Well, now God's going to say, you want something more impressive? Okay, here we go. The first plague, verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses... Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and over all their pools of water that they may become blood. 
Then they shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of the servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So here we have the first plague. Pharaoh's not really impressed by uh, staffs or rods turning into creatures. So he's just, yeah, whatever. So now God says, all right, Pharaoh's heart is hard. So Moses, this is what you're going to do. You're going to come. You're going to hold out your staff. I'm going to turn all the water, not just the Nile River, ponds, rivers, lakes, water in buckets. I don't care where it is. It's all getting turned into blood. But notice he says, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. This is what he said at the beginning. He says it now. Remember, Pharaoh says, who is this God? I don't know this God. And now he's not impressed by the first miracle. So God says, fine, I'm going to start bringing things upon you so that you're going to know who the true God is. You know, we're going to see this phrase with many of these plagues because that is ultimately why God keeps bringing them. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who the real God is. Notice that he adds not only that all these rivers and bodies of water and where water is just sat inside buckets is going to turn to blood, but the fish, which makes sense, that are in the river, what's going to happen to them? They're all going to die. And what's going to happen then? Everything's going to stink. <laughs> I mean, imagine that, how, how horribly... I mean, I don't like fish that tastes fishy, fish that sits out for a while. If I'm by you know, a place where a bunch of people are fishing and there's rotting fish, that just smells bad. But imagine the water actually being blood and all the fish that are in it just rotting inside of that and just how horrible the stench would be because of all that. And we're told they're going to loathe to drink the river. Of, the, well, of course they're going to loathe it. No one's going to want to drink blood. And so this is a horrible situation because the Nile River was so huge for them. Not only was it drinking water, it was bathing water. It was water that they used for all sorts of things that they needed. And now it's going to be completely blood. And I want you to you know, think about that for a moment of how horrible that would be. But I want you to remember that each of these plagues is a direct attack. It's specific. God has chosen to do this for a reason. He's striking especially the Nile for a purpose. Why? Because of these false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. David Guzik wrote this, The plagues God brought against Egypt had a definite strategy and purpose. Each of them confronts and attacks a prized Egyptian deity. Not only did they bring punishment against Egypt, the plague also answered Pharaoh's original question. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? The plague showed the Lord God to be greater than any of the deities of Egypt. And R. Allen Cole, he adds some interesting thoughts about this Hebrew word that's translated plagues. The plagues are described by cognate Hebrew words, all meaning blow or stroke. Each plague was as if God were to strike or beat a deity worshipped by the Egyptians. And so it's not just a judgment because Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let you go. And God says, fine, here, take this. 
That's part of it. There is judgment in the fact of this rebellion and this unwillingness to obey God, but there's much more to it. It's like, no, I'm going to bring something that's going to strike a blow right in the face of this God here, and this God there, and that God there that you worship. And you're going to see how pathetic and powerless your gods are compared to me. And so as we look at this, I want you to see this battle that, Moses, that God is ultimately bringing against the false gods of Egypt. So Aaron does what God says. He stretches his rod out. Everything's turning to blood. Now, picture that even if it was like in our culture. You go to turn on you know, the faucet and you know, blood comes out. You go to take a shower. Blood's pouring out. I mean, you see that in kind of like horror movies and things. And you think, oh, how gross and disgusting. But I mean, imagine if all your source of drinking water has now just been turned into blood. And for many of them who live there on the Nile, so much of their food source is fish. It's all dead, rotten, nasty. No one's going to touch that. So a lot of what you eat, what you drink, is gone, you know, and it's just disgusting. It's not like it's just gone, but it's like sitting there next to you in this nasty filth that stinks really bad that you got to live next to. I'm sure plenty of people had these houses right on the Nile thinking, whoo, this is so great. We got the prime property right on the water, and now it's like, man, i got to get out of here. This is horrible. It smells. Now, this first plague was directed against the Egyptian river gods, these Gods that would have been connected to the Nile River. Here are a couple of them. The Egyptian god Kunam was said to be the guardian of the Nile. <laughs> well, what does this plague show? Yeah, you're not guarding very well, buddy. If you're the guardian of the Nile, then how come you didn't stop this from happening? If you really have all this power and you guard the Nile and keep things from happening, why can't you stop God from turning it into blood? The god Hopi was said to be the spirit of the Nile and would let nothing corrupt its purity. <laughs> I think blood corrupts purity. Uh, a Nile that's full of blood. This guy, once again, another god that didn't stop God from corrupting the purity of the Nile. The great Egyptian god, uh, Osiris, was thought to have the Nile as his bloodstream. It was part of his life source. It's actually interesting, if you watch the Ten Commandments movie, the old one with Charlton Heston, uh, they show this kind of scene with the blood. They actually have this god right in the middle, uh, and I like the fact that they have like this water streaming down next to this idol, and then it turns into blood, and they're like, oh, even this god has blood coming out of it, because they thought that you know, the Nile was his you know, life source, that it kind of flowed through him, and so it's probably very likely that they had something like that with the Nile flowing next to this idolatry. Um, but he's truly bleeding, <laughs> and now is powerless to protect the Nile from God. And actually, the Nile itself was worshipped. You know, just the, the, the river, and there's uh, pieces of papyri that record hymns sung in praise of the Nile River. They worshipped it. They sung about it. Uh, there's a picture of it up there. Uh, but, you know, the thing that they thought was so great, it brings life, it brings blessing. Well, now it's bringing death and curses. And none of these, you know, so-called deities have any power against the one true God. You know, I think there's an interesting thing that I found as well. There's an ancient Egyptian writing that dates back to this time known as um, Ippopur uh, Papyrus. It states that the Nile was blood and undrinkable. Uh, and so, you know, another one of those external sources of evidence where we don't just say this happened just because the Bible said it, but there's plenty of, you know, external sources in history that point to uh, the truth of what the Bible speaks, and this is one of those things. So the first plague has revealed that the Egyptian river gods are, are powerless against the true God, 
And this would help the Egyptians know, hey, <laughs> who has real power here? Who is the one who really is God? I mean, look at all these gods that you worship for the river. They're not able to do anything. But once again, after this plague, just like after that first miraculous sign that God gives with the staff, Pharaoh says, all right, magicians, all right, sorcerers, come on over. Let's see what you got. Well, let's see what they can do this time. Verse 22. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed and the Lord, after the Lord had struck the river. So now we see Pharaoh do once again, calls his magicians, his sorcerers, all right, guys, uh, yeah, this is maybe somewhat impressive. What, what can you do? And notice what they do. <laughs> they also turn water into blood. And you might think, wow, that's so amazing. They were able to do it as well. And yeah, it shows that they have supernatural power coming through demonic presence. But here's the problem. That wasn't the miracle that they needed. All right, so it is said that you know, all the buckets, everything was turned into blood. So these guys had to go find fresh water, water that they would have been desperate for. It says they were digging around there to find probably wells of water underneath the ground so they could get fresh water. They get some fresh water, and what do they do? Uh, here's the water that we could drink, but let's turn it into blood. They turn it into blood. The, the, the miracle did nothing for them. If it was truly a miracle that would have been helpful, it would be like, hey, we're so powerful, we'll turn the Nile back to fresh water. We'll turn all this, we'll, we'll remove the blood. If we really got power, let's do that. But they're not capable of doing that. They just make things worse. They just make more clean water bloody. And I think this is interesting to note because really Satan and his demons can only give destructive power. You know, as you look through the scriptures, you don't ever see them able. I don't even think they can give any type of, like we see with the Holy Spirit who brings life to people, who you know, heals people, who makes people whole. I mean, we see so many miracles that, of benefit. God is bringing judgment right now, and the only thing that Satan can do is bring more uh, destruction. You know, and we see that throughout. You know, the Holy Spirit only comes when he's invited. Satan possesses people. You know, every time that we see demonic presence, demonic moves, it's always to bring destruction. Jesus says this, John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief speaking of Satan. That's his desire. He wants to steal from people. He wants to kill them. He wants to destroy them. There's nothing that he wants to bring with his supernatural power that is of benefit. It's all negative. And I think that's all he has. That's all he can give. That's all he you know, possesses to offer to others. And so, all right, guys, let's show them what we can do. Let's ruin some more clean water and make it blood. But you know what? I want you to notice something. As God is seeking to move in a way that would soften Pharaoh, help Pharaoh to see who he is, each time Satan moves. These demons move through the sorcerers, move in this powerful way that gives Pharaoh a reason to say, ah, God's not that powerful. Look at these guys. Oh, wow, yeah, this, the, the rod turns into a crocodile. Well, <laughs> so did theirs. Oh, yeah, yours ate them up, but, you know, there's still this power. Well, water in the blood, water in the blood. You know, he keeps bringing this, hey, here's a reason why you can... Not follow, not believe, not see God for who he is. Don't, don't forget how great I am. 
And I think that we need to be aware of this, of Satan's always trying to distract people, especially people lost in the world like Pharaoh, from the reality of who God is. And we come, and we share, and we see the move of God in powerful ways, and it's just like, man, they're, they're, they're blinded. Why? Because Satan is desperately trying to do all he can to distract, to do things that would keep people from coming to the knowledge of who God is, and even more importantly, from believing in him and accepting him and being changed by him. Now, in order for the Egyptians to find water, they're going to dig around this river. But notice how long it's going. Seven days. You go seven days without water, you've got problems. So they're desperate to find it. There's a lot of people who need this water, and God lets this go for seven days. You're going to see how bad it's going to get, how smelly it's going to get, but you know, no one's bathing probably, because if you're barely getting water, you're not going to you know, bathe in it when you need to drink it. So not only do the fish smell, the people are going to smell, but this is just, you know, it would be a horrible week. And God's just letting things fester, letting things get worse before he comes and says, all right, Moses, let's go talk to Pharaoh again. That's where we're going to move into chapter 8 next week. If Pharaoh listens, this can all end. But if he hardens his heart again, we got another plague, plague number 2, plague number 3, plague number 4 all going to be in chapter 8. And we're going to see the hardness of Pharaoh and the power of God coming in a way that continues to reveal who he is. So in this chapter, we see God's response to Moses' question, Behold, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? And God just wants him to know, Hey, I made you as a God to Pharaoh. I put you in this role. I want you to be my representative. I know your unworthiness. I know your sin. And in spite of all that you have that's negative, I'm still calling you to be my representative and all your weaknesses that you have. We also see God's response to Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Well, all right, let me show you this first miracle of the staff turning into some kind of creature. Let me show you the second miracle of all this water turning into blood. But Pharaoh hardens his heart. He won't listen. He won't accept the true power of God. And we see that Satan's at work to try to hinder that through his sorcerers, through his magicians, who are also able to do some of these things. We're going to see that their power only lasts so long. <laughs> They're not able to duplicate uh, much more, and no, nor would they want to. I'm sure after this one, he's like, you know what, guys? <laughs> let's, let's not uh, ruin things any more than they are. But uh, the plagues are going to get worse. So I encourage you to read through chapter 8. Come ready to look at these next plagues and what we can learn from them. But you know what? Just like Moses, be encouraged. God can use weak people. I'm sure all of us have come to that place where like, Lord, you got it wrong. I mean... I'm, I got problems. You know, I hide it from people, but I got sin issues. I struggle with this temptation. I, you know, I'm weak in this area. Maybe you need to call someone else to do your work. And God says, no, I, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what you are. I know exactly your problems. And I still called you. I still want you to represent me. I still want to use you. And I want to change you. I want to take you from where you are with these struggles. And I want to make you more like my son, Jesus. And God wants us to be those representatives to people like Pharaoh, people who are hard-hearted, people who don't want to listen. And we need to realize we're not just battling the Pharaohs, we're battling demonic forces who are trying to keep people 
in darkness. People blind from the truth. And so as we go and we share the gospel, as we go and we minister, realize it's not just this person that we're talking to that we're ultimately battling against. There are forces behind them seeking to keep them bound, keep them in darkness, keep them in their sin. And this is why prayer is so vital before you share the gospel. This is why you know, we need to recognize it's not just, you know, if I just say the right words, everything's going to work. If I just do it the right way, then it's all going to come together. No, there's supernatural powers at work. And this is why we need to fight the battle the way that God tells us to. We need to put on our armor. We need to fight in prayer and watch what God will do. But be encouraged that he uses messed up, weak people like we are. Any thoughts on what we looked at tonight?